Christian stewardship always starts with looking at God and saying, God, look at what you've done for us. Look at what you've given us. And it completely transforms the way that we approach stewardship. So let's uh, dive into Matthew 6 as Jesus addresses what we're supposed to do with the, the money and the stuff that God, by his grace, has given us responsibility for. Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. God, as we listen to the words of Jesus today, we pray that this will be a conversation that each of us is having with you. Uh, Lord, as we uh, hear your word read out, as uh, I share some reflections upon it and, and uh, we see some input from others as well, uh, Lord, what we really want to tune into is what are you saying to us each individually and very specifically? As we've just sung, all our ways are known to you. And so while I might be speaking generally to a group of people, we trust that your Holy Spirit can speak very specifically to us right now, each of us individually at our point of need to make us aware of the grace that you want to pour into our lives, to help us to know what you would have us do in response to your generosity to us. So God, may that conversation be fruitful and may it be a blessing not only to us but to all those our lives will touch and most importantly, may it help our lives to bring glory to Jesus because he deserves it. Amen. I felt like money was the answer to a lot of my problems. That if I had more money, I felt like my husband would love me more because I was able to put more into the household. I thought my friends would think more of me because I could give them more. And so I was trying to meet that need on so many levels with so many people. I started getting so to where I was hoarding and keeping things and keeping money, you know, stored back. but. Then things happen, I lost that money. God put on my heart, that's not what I give you, what I give you. I give you this so that you can do things for others who don't have the ability to do for themselves. That changed a lot of that in me. I had an occasion to go pick up a prescription. I normally never go to the pharmacy. I usually call it in, but for some reason, and I'm gonna say it was the Holy Spirit, said go, drop it off. And when the pharmacist said, do you wanna wait? I said, yeah, I'll wait. So I'm sitting there, a lady comes in. I hear her talking to the pharmacist saying, well, I just don't have the money for that. I don't have the money for that. So again, the Holy Spirit just nudging me. I got up and I said, let me pay for the prescription for you. And the pharmacist looked at me and said, are you sure about that? And I said, yeah. So before, I didn't even ask how much it was. I just took my card, I swiped it. And then I went to sit back down. So when the lady got the prescription, she came over to me and she said, why would you do that? And I said, because I could. So she said, do you mind going with me out to my car? I said, no problem. So I go out to the car and there's an elderly lady in the car and the lady is just about in tears. She says, mom, 
this lady paid for your prescriptions. And she looked at me, she took my hand, and she said, baby, why would you do that? And I said, because God has blessed me in so many ways, and I just want to be a blessing to someone else. And it just, I mean, it touched my heart just to be able to do something like that for someone. So I got home today, I told my husband about what I had done, and then when the um, credit card bill came, he said, Jennifer, do you know how much that prescription was? I said, no, I didn't even ask. I'll just say the amount was over $400. But you know, when God lays that on your heart, and obviously he put me there at a time when I needed to be there, you don't question about how much it's gonna cost. So to be able to do for others without knowing who they are, not expecting anything in return, but you get so much back in the return. I am so much a better person, so much a happier person. You just, just no way to even describe it. You know, Jennifer's story is not unique. Um, I see that happening all around me all the time as people experience the freedom that comes from letting God be in charge of their money and stuff. But Jennifer's story does remind me of a couple of stories we read in the Bible, which are excellent illustrations of the principle that Jesus was talking about that we read earlier in Matthew chapter 6. So I want to dive into Matthew 19, where we meet the first of these people who Jennifer kind of reminds me of. And we see the stuff that Jesus is teaching to crowds very uh, personally and practically illustrated in the lives of specific people as we read these couple of stories. So in Matthew 19, we read about this person. Just then, someone came up and asked him, being Jesus, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus said to him. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, Well, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. I've kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus is not being cruel when he says to that young man, give away everything that you own. How would you feel about God if he said that to you? Would you feel like God is being unkind, unfair, too demanding. I think that's probably what that young guy was feeling. That's not fair. But Jesus is simply being consistent. What does he say there? So your belongings, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. That's exactly what he had said to thousands of people that we read about in Matthew 6. Don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. In Luke's uh, account of that same message, uh, he remembers some, some additional words that Jesus uh, did as the application to that idea where he said, you know, go, go um, uh, sell everything you have and, and give to the poor. Exactly what he's telling this specific guy to do. And he says, and then you'll be furnishing yourselves for heaven. So he's not being cruel, he's not being unfair, he's not picking on a guy unusually. He's just being consistent with what he said back in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. I don't know if uh, you've ever been to an investment advisor. 
I haven't, but um, yeah, maybe that's been your experience. Jesus is doing that right now for people. Free investment advice. Trade in what is temporary for what is eternal. Trade in things that will never fully satisfy for, for joy that is deeper than you can possibly imagine. Uh, trade in stuff that you will be tempted to find your security in until that moment when it's gone and you find that it's, it wasn't as secure as you thought it was. Uh, trade in that stuff that you think will make you feel, look good in the eyes of others but you're never quite sure if you're looking good enough. Trade in what is insubstantial for something that is guaranteed something that is permanent, something that is satisfying, something that is enriching, something that is life-giving. That's a great bit of investment advice, but this young man won't heed it. He refuses. He doesn't want to trade in the short-term pleasures that his wealth can afford him for the eternal joy that God guarantees. Why does he turn Jesus down? Why can't he see that this is actually really good advice, that Jesus isn't trying to suck something out of him, Jesus is actually offering him a better deal, a great investment. Well, what Jesus said to the crowds actually explains the reaction of this young man. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? You've got the light of the world standing right in front of this young man. He's showing him the pathway to freedom and eternal joy. But for this guy, his wealth is so important to him that he is blinded to what really matters most. He can't see what would bring him a deeper joy. He can't fathom how he could have greater security in not having than in having. And so he can't receive the gift that Jesus wants to give him. It's exactly as Jesus says as he went on in that teaching to the crowds. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So this young man turned away from the saviour of the world, the one who loved him so much that he gave his very life for this man's salvation. He walked away. But there was another one who didn't. And we find that story in Luke chapter 19. So I want to flick over to this person's story. And again, it's probably one that if you've been a Christian for a while or been in church for a while, uh, you might have heard it. Jesus entered Jer Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, but since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give, give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. It's a very different response in this story, isn't it? That's why Jesus goes on to say, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. 
You see, it's pretty much the same deal, but kind of an opposite response. This guy is rich. He's been laying himself up treasures on earth. Um, and it's, it's kind of really interesting, the difference. He had the rich young rulers, he's often called. And this is a guy who's very wealthy, just like the tax collector is wealthy. But the rich young guy, it seems like he's doing the right thing by God. You know, he's obeying all the commands, uh, which would have included the command, do not steal, whereas you've got this tax collector and with the might of the Roman army behind him, he's extorting more than he has a right to collect and who's going to stop him? Um, and I love the way the story, and not being heightest here, guys, but as a short person, he may well have been picked on, looked down on, treated badly by those who are bigger and stronger. You know how schoolyards work. It's not always a, a kind place. You know how people tend to treat other people. Um, but yet he's now got a power behind him. He can be somebody. You think you can pick on me, classroom bully? Look who's in charge now. I see the size of your house. Look at the size of my house. You're not going to stand up to me when I've got this centurion at my back. So he's made life work for him, but he's not done it by obeying God's ways. He's done it by going his own way to get his own needs met and to say, well, I've done it. I've overcome. I'm now somebody. Um, so when you look at them, you say, okay, now who is God closer to? The guy who says, I obey all the commands. What you mean the command to, for example, uh, pay the temple tax like people were obliged to in those times? Uh, do you mean the command to tithe your income? Do you mean the command to um, not harvest all of your fields so that the poor have something to have? So you've been charitable, you've been generous. And he'd probably say, absolutely, let me, let me show you my, my um, ledgers. You'll see I've been giving money to the poor. And he's that kind of stand-up guy. So if anyone doesn't have a problem with managing their wealth properly, you'd say, rich young ruler, he's doing the right thing. This other guy is a bully and a thief and a, you know, whatever. Um, you're going to make that kind of comparison. But yet, when they see Jesus, look at the different response. When they actually encounter the one who is more precious than anything this world has to offer, there's the guy who says, well, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm prepared to go this far <laughs> in what I do for God. I'm prepared to obey these commands. But the idea that Jesus and knowing Jesus and following Jesus is more important than all the stuff I've got, that's a step too far. Whereas you've got this other guy, and for him, his wealth has been his ticket to success and overcoming all of the injustices of his past and achieving all of his ambitions and all that kind of stuff. And he sees Jesus and he goes, man, I was going down the wrong track. You know, I thought this was how I was going to have security. I thought this was how I was going to have significance. I thought this is the way I'd be able to shake my fist at those guys and say, hey, who's somebody now? Um, I thought this was how I'd get ahead in life. But now that I've got it, I realised it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I'm happily going to trade it in. And he doesn't even need Jesus to say, you know what, I think you've got an issue here. When the, the people around him says, says to Jesus, this guy, you kidding? He puts money before God. He puts money before people, treating people right. And he just responds immediately and says, okay, I'm going to give half my money away straight away. And if I have extorted anybody, love that if. <laughs> That's your job, but <laughs> that's how you became rich. I'll pay four times as much. In other words, whatever I've done to earn more money on that money I stole, I'm prepared to just lose all of it. I'm prepared to give it all away. Because what I've found is precious. One guy was blind, just like Matthew 6 talked about. He couldn't see what was right in front of him. The opportunity that he had, one guy had his eyes opened. He said, ah, Jesus is the treasure. It's not treasures on earth that matter. It's my treasure that has come from heaven. It is my treasure that will be laid up in heaven, eternal life with Jesus and all of his people. That's so much more important 
than anything that I could have bought here on earth. I will gladly trade it in. And that was Jennifer's experience. She started out like the rich young man. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I obey all the rules and I go to church and all that kind of stuff. But actually I'm really controlled by my appearance and whether I have as much as my friends or whether I can afford to help people uh, in a way that actually makes me look like a good person. You know, this, this anxiety that comes about how she's using money and whether she has enough money just controlled her. It wasn't a great place to be. She wasn't happy. But when God released her from that, say, you know what? I'm just going to use what you've given me for your purposes and I'm not, just, I'm not going to count the, you know, the amounts. I'm not going to stress about it. You give me stuff, I'll use it. Um, hopefully her husband was on the same page. That could have some awkward conversations when the credit card bill comes in. Well, God might have told you. He hasn't told me. You know, I can just imagine that, that dinner conversation. But she's free. She's happier. And she sees that her life is doing good in the world. And that's, that's the blessing of stewardship. I think tragically sometimes there are churches or groups that try to create rich young rulers that say to people, hey, if you give you 10%, um, then you're doing the right thing by God. Um, and, and like Evan shared earlier, you know, when we grow up in church, sometimes we, we take on board certain things and we have to question, well, what is it really all about? I, I grew up with that. You know, every Christian should give their 10%, you know, strong uh, Bible principle in the Old Testament. Lots of Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians would say that today. That is a point where you go, okay, well, is that what, is that really, is that the sum of what God wants? And I got to the point as I studied God's word and I grew in my own faith where I realised, you know what? Um, I don't actually think that that's what God's saying as a rule to make sure you tick all your boxes again, as Bevan was talking about. Have you got this sorted? Have you got that sorted? Have you got that sorted? Okay, I'm, I'm doing good enough to get into heaven. That, that's not actually God's will for us. God's will for us is to reveal Jesus and say, hey, he's better than anything. And then he's in charge of everything, whatever that looks like for you. 1 Timothy 3, uh, 6 sorry, speaks of it like this. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Right? Don't leap to what you're supposed to do to make God, you know, satisfied with, with you, you know, to prove that you're doing well enough. Recognise there's a God who gives you things richly for you to enjoy, for you to find happiness in. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Please don't hold on to earthly treasures so tightly that you can't enjoy them for what they are. Enjoy the blessings God has given you and find enjoyment in using them in the way that he uh, prompts you to do it. They're gifts to be enjoyed, not masters to enslave us. They're resources for good works that will be celebrated into eternity. They're not treasures to blind us to what really matters in life so that we waste our lives on what is temporary. There's a choice that we must all make. Will you worship the giver and enjoy his gifts or will you worship the gifts and deny the, the giver? That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. You can't serve both. Um, in the old version, does anyone still have a King James version? Own up. Yep, they're out there. And a lot of people still love them. Uh, but does it use the word mammon in your version, Marion? I'm pretty sure that was the King James Version. And, and it, it's, it's kind of cool because you have to say, what is that? Um, because money doesn't really capture it. Where it says you can't serve both God and money, it really means, and that's that idea of the word mammon, it's, 
stuff, it's material things, it's material wealth. That's what it's talking about. Whether it's figures on a, on a balance sheet or whether it's you know, the house that you live in, you can't serve the stuff of this life and serve God. Just can't, can't have it that way. So you'll either live for that stuff and deny God his rightful place and miss out on all the blessings of knowing him. Or you'll know God and you'll enjoy that stuff, but it won't control you anymore. You'll be free to just use it the way he wants you to and you'll be blessed by that. And that's a great place to be in. And that's the choice that you need to make today. Which is it going to be for you? Uh, Will I be like the rich young ruler and use my money and stuff the way I want, thinking that it's it's mine and, and, and that's where I find my security and that's who I am and all that kind of stuff, it's what I deserve? Will you be consigned to the anxiety that comes from that, from the fragility that comes from that, from the pride that gets fostered by that? Will, will you... Will you really choose that path? Or will you choose freedom? Will you choose life? If you've decided to choose freedom, if you've decided to say, hey, I want God more than anything, and you're willing by faith to step into whatever that might look like for you, there's four practical areas that the Bible talks about in terms of the skills to actually do something about that. See, it's fine to make the decision in your mind and say, okay, I don't want to live as somebody who's controlled by money. I want to be somebody who can enjoy it and use it for whatever and still feel blessed. I want to to be somebody who enjoys living God's way and pleases him in all that I do. But how do I actually now do something with that? Um, Because what I see is what everyone else does around me and I naturally just fit in with that pattern. That's what Romans 12 talks about. So, So what do I do that's meant to look different than what I've just grown up thinking I ought to do? Uh, Well, the Bible talks about money and stuff in four categories. So I thought we'd just dip our toes in the water of that today and give you a bit of a taste for that. And then we'll give you some rules and resources from how you can maybe explore that a little bit more in your own time. The first kind of way that the Bible talks about money and stuff is what what you do to get it. It's it's how you earn it. Here's a couple of uh, pearls. In Proverbs we read, Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Not many of you are farmers and not many of you are builders, so you might not identify in those days. Things tended to be a bit different in the way occupations worked and in how communities worked to do this kind of stuff. But I think the principle's pretty obvious, isn't it? Okay, we can rush to being worried about, okay, this is the kind of house I want, this is, you know, the kind of lifestyle I want, now how am I going to make that happen? Um, Take a step back. Um, think about what you've been called to do as the work that you do in life. Um, do that well first, without worrying about how you're going to spend what you earn. There's freedom in that, and we'll discover why in a few minutes. And Thessalonians says, if somebody won't work, they shouldn't eat. Why? Uh, because it's not good for you to be lazy in life. We weren't created. We don't flourish when we are lazy. We're not, we don't flourish when we are entitled. You ought to look after me because somehow in the cosmic order of things I'm important enough to deserve that. It's not good for people. Now We ought to be people who think carefully about our work and what God wants us to do with our work. James expresses it beautifully when he says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Can I just rephrase that? Now listen, those of you who say I'm going to do that ATAR course and get into that uh, uni uh, course and then earn that kind of money in that kind of career, or I'm going to start this kind of business and and do it in this way, do this apprenticeship and, and earn that trade. Listen to you who are saying whatever you're going to say about how you're going to make money in life. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's, that's um, not encouraging, isn't it? But it's a sense of perspective. Hey, remember, God is working on this canvas. 
And everything about your life weaves into his purposes, including the work you do. So don't treat it as though it's me and my ambitions that matter most. Hey, what sort of work are you meant to be doing that not only provides for your material needs and enables you to help others, but is actually a part of the good things that God wants to do in the world? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That includes your work. So instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. It makes us proud. I achieved this. No, treat God as the person who's in charge of what you do, how you do it, where you do it, who you do it with. Seek his will. That's the way that we should approach what we do to earn an income, just like we approach everything in life in that way. And trust me, your work life will become so much richer when you approach it with God in charge rather than you in charge. You will absolutely love not only the fact that you are able to provide financially, uh, but you'll also love your impact that you are having in your workplace and in what your work achieves. So the Bible has much, much more to say about how we earn, but there's just a, a bit of a taste. Then it goes on to talk about what we give. Why, why go to give next? Isn't that what you do with what you've got left after you take care of the bills? No. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal... Okay, so let's stop being takers and people who are dishonest in order to get what we want out of life. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands, so think about how he earns, so that he has something to share with anyone who is in need. Um, as a discipline, learning a bit to give before you, learn about, before you think about what I need to do with the money actually helps your heart to keep in check, because I know my own heart, and God does too. And I know that I will never be satisfied with you know, what I accumulate and what I do. I'm just like that rich young ruler. Um, but when I give first, it's giving God the opportunity to have his say on what he does with those resources before my heart can kind of get in there. Remember this. Paul writes to the Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's not saying, hey, if you give God $10, he's going to give you $100 back. That's dumb. Right? Uh, 1 Timothy 6, go read that. Uh, those who teach that, that godliness is a means to earthly gain are lying to you. That's not how it works. What did Jesus say? Invest your money and stuff in things that are of heaven. He's not promising you a fatter bank account. Stupid. All right, don't go there. But recognise that your money and stuff can do things that really matter. They can make a difference for eternity. Um, and we can reap generously, reap joy, reap peace, reap satisfaction, reap purpose, reap love, the things that matter. How much should you give? Well, each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion or that sense of, OK, I'm keeping God happy, I'm doing the right amount. Forget that. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. So let God convict you about what he wants you to give. Um, don't let, let your giving be, well, I, well, that person gives that much and, well, I should give that much or that rule says this so I ought to tick that box. That's between you and God. Keep it there. Um, that doesn't mean we hide it away because sometimes there's this false modesty of that. No, no, you know, just, just don't... Don't make a big deal of that. Just go ahead and give what God puts on your heart to give. Explore the Bible. It has some things to say specifically that will touch your heart and let God produce in you the conviction to do what he wants you to do in that sense of life. 
I know um, I was saying earlier about that whole 10%, which uh, you know, often gets taught, and, and love to have that conversation with you later to go through all those Bible verses, but that's how I grew up. Um, I got to the point of saying, no, that's not what the Bible actually commands every Christian to do, um, but I still do it. Because for me and how I'm wired and how my own heart works, that feels right. And I look at the scriptures and I read examples of others who have done it and I, I, get, I get it. When you do it, you go, yeah, that, that feels right to me. That might not be your journey. Um, let's just make sure that we have an open heart to what God wants us to do in those ways. All right, once you've thought about giving, we're going to save now, what's the difference? Do you remember the story Jesus told? Don't be like that farmer who said, oh, I'm going to make bigger barns, I'm going to put on my wheat in there. And Jesus says, you're going to die tonight. What you've saved up for is useless. Who's going to get that? Um, is Jesus saying you shouldn't save for the future? Is superannuation evil? Absolutely. Give it all to the church. No, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't cut that out and, and put that on YouTube. No, no, he's not saying that at all. Um, in fact, what does the Bible say? Go to the ant, you sluggard. That's got your attention. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. In other words, God's even built into nature. This is how amazing God is. The principles of how we ought to be wise in our stewardship, how we ought to save. You can see examples in how he designed even the ants to, to do things. Proverbs 25 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You know, that impulse to spend what we don't have. You know, it's dangerous and it's putting people under so much pressure. Um, before you think about what you want to spend, I'd encourage you to think about what you ought to save first. That's responsible stewardship. That's, that's something that God has built into the fabric of nature. It's something that in so many different places in the Bible, it speaks to us of the value of. Don't treat them as your treasures. You know, the things that you rely on for life and security and all that stuff. But be wise. God doesn't want you to be foolish or flippant with the things that he's entrusted to you. When something comes up that God knew in advance that he wanted you to do and you've gone and wasted that money, like, oh, no, save. God knows what you're going to need to use it for in the future. And lastly, spend. And that's where we go back to 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. In your spending, don't think that's going to make you happy. Don't think that that quality of the car or the size of the house or the number of the holidays or whatever, don't think that what you can use your earthly treasures on is going to make you happy and make life work for you. Um, but God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So don't act like it doesn't matter either. Enjoy the stuff. If you live in a house that doesn't leak when it's raining, thank you, Lord. I know plenty of people that don't have that. Have you got any money in the bank? Thank you, Lord. Be grateful for what he gives you and use it for the stuff that he wants you to use it for and enjoy doing that, whether that's giving it away or whether that's upgrading your kitchen, whatever that looks like for you. Make sure, though, that God is in charge of it. That's the secret. Make sure you're always treasuring him more than that stuff. And if you're doing that, your spending will be in right proportion and it will bring you the joy and bring others the joy that it is intended for. And again, so much more that we could say on all that stuff. If you're a part of our church family, um, you've got access to the Right Now Media catalogue. Um, as you um, load that up on your PC or whatever the screen is that you have, uh, there's a bunch of Bible studies there that you can d dive into this stuff a bit deeper. Um, like everything, including when I present stuff to you on stage, no human being is perfect. 
Um, these things won't be perfect either. There'll be some stuff in there that you go, that's brilliant and it'll resonate and there'll be some stuff that you go, oh, I want to explore that a bit more. But it'll get you thinking, it'll get you praying, it'll get you studying God's word and God will be able to have a chance to speak to you personally and that's what we're interested in. I hope you're as receptive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit as Jennifer was. I want you to be as free and as happy as she is now. don't want you to be like what she was before. I hope that you'll see, like she did, that you don't have to live with anxiety or with arrogance, uh, which is what happens when, when your treasures are on earth. And I hope that you'll see that it's not a lack of money that's causing you problems. Has anyone ever felt that that's been the case? <laughs> Me sometimes. It's not the lack of money which is causing you problems. It's the love of money that causes you problems. Let's pray.